At the beginning of the year, I gave the verse which I felt captured our vision for 2020 as I cast that vision. Psalm 27, 13 says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, it's been a different year to be sure. It's not the intent of the verse was not how I originally came to it. I was not thinking of the first half where it says, I had fainted unless. I was thinking about the goodness of the Lord. Now, God's good all the time. I understand that. And so it's been a different year, and some could make the argument that maybe we haven't seen the goodness of the Lord this year, but I would challenge those who would say such things to consider how blessed we have been throughout this year. Now, it's true we haven't seen what we had hoped, maybe what I had hoped, when we entered into 2020, but I think every church is saying that. And yet, we've seen the goodness of the Lord. By the grace of God, our doors have been open. We've seen people join. We've seen people saved. We'll have a couple baptisms even next Sunday. God's not slowed by a pandemic. Thank God. Our bills are paid. Listen, I keep going on and on. God's, God's, we have seen the goodness of the Lord. Now, the challenge for me has been not to faint along the way. And that's why David penned, I had fainted unless I had believed to see. It was faith that kept him going. And that's what we need to do. I still believe God is going to do even greater things through our church. We are just now getting back to where we are closer to where we were at. (laughs) I'm trying to word it as nice as I can. We're we're getting there. And um, God's going to do even greater things. And hopefully all of this will die down soon. We are close to where we were at before this pandemic. And I'm I'm still believing God's going to blow us way past that mark. And we're going to go on to higher ground. We are. There's too many things happening right now. There are some things I'm not at liberty to say right now, but the way God is bringing people here, it's just been incredible. And so I know that God is still going to do what our original vision was, and we just have to keep believing to see. We have to see it together. Now, we're going to be in Hebrews 11. We've visited this chapter already in our series this year, Believe to See. And really what Believe to See is, it is going forward by faith. Most of you recognize right away Hebrews 11. When you hear that, you think about all those who walked by faith. Some will call it the hall of faith. And I want to begin this morning just by reading verses 1 through 4. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. And we see this chapter begins with a description of what faith is. And throughout this chapter, we're going to get examples of those who have lived by faith, who have gone before us. And I've already mentioned in a previous message that these listed in Hebrews 11, listen, these were not super awesome 
sinless people. These were normal people. These were people of like passions. They were people like us. They were sinners. They made mistakes. They stumbled along the way, but they kept their faith in the Lord. They got back up and they kept going forward by faith. They just simply obeyed Him. What made them special enough to be listed in this chapter is they obeyed God, they exercised their faith in God, and as a result, they obtained a good report through faith. Back on January 19th of this year, I preached on verses 1 and 2 during our second installment of this series entitled Believe to See. Really, the focus was verse 1. We're not going to cover all that over again. But I want to remind you of a quote I came across that I read back then, and it's this, quote, Faith gives reality or substance to things hoped for, end quote. Faith is what brings about the reality in our mind's eye, those things which we cannot see with our natural eye. Faith allows us to see what we cannot see. Faith moves us to act as if, we, if what we cannot see can be seen. And those who will live by faith will be influenced by what is unseen. Faith brings us before things that are invisible. We've never seen God. We've never seen Christ. We've never seen the Holy Spirit, and yet we believe by faith that He is. And that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. We believe that by faith. That which is invisible has been brought before our eyes. And I think the older we get and the, the more we near heaven's shore, those things that we read about in the Bible, they become more real to us as we begin to think on those things. And we realize the day's coming. Our faith is going to be made sight. Hallelujah. What a day that's going to be. You'll be glad to know I'm not going to preach verse 3 tonight either. Because I want to get to these examples of faith by these individuals. But real quick, we see in verse 3 that we believe by faith in creation. The world refuses to believe Genesis 1-1. All of chapter 1. They refuse to believe the creation account that God could create this world and all that's in it in six days. Those who would dare to believe in a literal six-day creation, they are insane according to the world. We understand God created all things, not by scientific data, even though true scientific data backs up the Bible, but we believe it because God said it. You see, we don't need proof. The proof is there. The, The proof is the things which are seen... We're not made of things which do appear. Huh? We just believe it by faith. What I would highlight from verse 3 is this. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Now I want you to get this as we go forward. In order to have faith, you have to have the Word of God. What does Romans 10, 17 say? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We have faith not because of a little voice that we've heard. Amen. We have faith not because we got a gut feeling. We have faith not because we got a warm fuzzy. I don't even know what that is. We got faith 
not because we had some vision. The only reason we have faith tonight is because we have the Word of God. Now, I want to take the rest of our time tonight. I want to look at verse 4. Let's read that again. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. So what can we learn from this verse that's going to help us tonight? Here's somebody that spoke nearly 6,000 years ago by giving this offering, and yet we're still talking about him. What is it for us? What can we learn from this verse? Well, we can see first of all here, true worship takes place by faith. It takes place by faith. Worship is a word which has been misdefined in churches today. Because we're using it in a way in which the Bible never defines it. We often hear the phrase praise and worship. While somebody may be praising, they're not worshiping in that context. It's definitely not biblical worship. And I'm not being hypercritical of their way. I thank God people are praising the Lord. And they are definitely praising God. I, look, for the most part, I'm with that. But worship in the Bible is never defined as this praise and worship type thing. Over and over again, worship is defined in the Bible as bowing your head down to the ground. That's worship. I read this the other night, Psalm 95.6. Oh, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Most consider worship today as raising our hands to the Lord as we praise Him, but that's not biblical worship. Biblical worship is bowing down, it's kneeling down before the Lord. Worship is defined to depress. It means to be prostrate in homage to God. It is a show of humility and obedience with reverence for God. I don't even call the assembling of ourselves together a worship service. Because it's not. Not all of you are going to bow down. I call it a church service. But on that note, this is why I am such a proponent of the altar call. It's your chance to come forward, bow down and kneel before your God and worship. That's the part of the service we want you to do. Now, we want you to do it at any time. But that's when we open it up and try to make you feel more comfortable about doing it. Therefore, worship is not an emotionally driven experience drummed up by good music. Now, I thank God for good music. Amen? I got no problem with music stirring my emotions. People say, well, it needs to touch your heart before it touches your feet. I don't know, but I like it. Amen? I, I like good music. I, I like how it stirs my emotions. It leads us to praise. But the emphasis in worship is not the upbeat emotional experience. And, and don't misunderstand me. Emotions are involved in our worship. Emotions are involved in all things. And God deserves our emotions just like He deserves everything else. But when worship is driven by our emotions, then we are in danger of only worshiping God 
when things are going well. See, that's the problem. When worship is driven by these emotions, we're only going to really worship God when we think everything's going great. And when it's not, we're not going to be driven into that position of worship. And that's why we have to be careful about what is leading to the worship. But worship is to be by faith. Not for what we can see, but it's for who we can't see. When God told Abraham to offer up his son a promise, Isaac, Abraham turned to his servants and he said, I and the lad are going to go yonder and worship. You stay here. Now, any father would tell you there was nothing exciting about what Abraham was about to go and do. But he said, we're going to go and worship. The emotions there would not, would not have driven him to worship. But what did he do? He worshiped by faith. That's why he could say, and we will come again to you. Now we're going to look at that later in this chapter in verses 17 through 19, so I'm not going to dig into that right now. But the point is, we are to worship whether we feel like it or not. Everybody catch that? Worship takes place by faith. You may be wondering, well, how do we know that Abel worshipped as he made this offering unto God? Well, the Bible says in 1 Chronicles 16, 29, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's God's plan. These offerings were a form of worship. There would be bowing down involved. Our verse tonight says, By faith. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. He was worshiping God when he offered. Now, let's dig into this verse for just a moment. I was surprised to learn as I was studying this verse, and I know it's because I, I was raised hearing this verse preached a certain way. I was surprised to learn of the varying opinions that are on this verse when it comes to Cain and Abel's offering. Some people say, really the issue here with Cain and Abel was only a matter of their heart. And it had nothing to do with what they offered. Now, it is true that their heart was important in their offering. I personally believe the type of the offering also plays into the true worship. The reason I say that is when our heart is right, we're going to offer the right offering. So what were their offerings? You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. It says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. We see from that Cain brought what he had grown. I'm sure he labored. I'm sure he sweat. I'm sure he took part in all of that. He brought what he had grown. Abel brought an animal sacrifice. And the language in Genesis 4 shows that there was a big difference in their offering. Because it said the Lord had respect unto Abel, and to his offering. And I'm, I'm just telling you, I personally believe that if it was just a heart issue, that it wouldn't tell us and to his offering. 
God makes a point of highlighting that it was not only a heart issue, but it was also what the offering was. He had respect unto Abel. Clearly then, the type of the offering was a big deal. Our text says that by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. A more more excellent sacrifice means Abel's sacrifice was better quality. John makes it very clear the difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering in 1 John 3.12, where he wrote in the context of us loving one another, he says this, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. There's a big difference on what's taking place here. So it makes it absolutely clear Abel's heart and offering was righteous. Cain's heart and offering was evil. Jude says of those who are corrupt, Woe unto them, for they have gone into the way of Cain. Now the argument those make in that this is merely a heart issue and not an issue about the offering, they say, well, God has not instituted the law yet. But is there evidence before Genesis 4 that God did in fact want offerings to be an animal sacrifice? The answer is yes. After the fall of mankind and sin entering the world, the Bible says Adam and Eve, that their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and so their remedy was to sew fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. And we might could say they were using the fruit of the ground to cover their sin. But God wasn't pleased with their choice of coverings. But then again, Adam and Eve had not yet received the promise of the coming Messiah. But what we find immediately after God says there's going to be this promised seed that's going to come, is God then, He gives them coats of skin. It's the first thing we find doing, God doing after He talks about the curse. God explained the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And then He provided for them a better covering. Genesis 3.21, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. You see, a covering from the fruit of the ground would not last very long. And obviously, God was not pleased with it. And it is God who set the example that He would require a blood sacrifice. Because in order to get coats of skin, obviously animals had to die for both of them to be clothed. clothed. And so back to Cain and Abel, I think most of you would agree Cain's offering pictures a work-based salvation. Abel's offering pictures a faith-based offering for atonement through blood. God had respect unto Abel's offering, or He was pleased to look upon it. In this, I think we can safely say that the reason that God had respect unto Abel's offering, and the reason Abel's offering is called more excellent is because Abel was looking ahead by faith to Christ's blood. Because this was the example that Abel had set with his parents. Or that Adam, that God had set with their parents. And and I don't want to get off on this right here, but let me just go ahead and, and park it for just a second and tell you this, parents, it is your responsibility to teach your kids what God requires. Amen. 
Because here's what a lot of parents are going to do is they're going to bring their kids to church and they're going to hope that those three hours a week is going to magically make them turn out right. That's not enough. And we have to train them on what God said is right. While some will make the case that all this is just conjecture that I just gave you, I think Hebrews 12.24 removes all doubt. In Hebrews 12, 24, it says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. I believe there's a connection made there between Abel's offering and blood. Abel's offering contained blood, and of course the blood of animals could never remove sin. It only made a covering, but thank God, Jesus ushered in the new covenant through His sinless blood, through His perfect blood, And our sins and iniquities will He remember no more. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And what we see in verse 4 is a result of Abel's more excellent sacrifices that he obtained witness that he was righteous. We know there's only one way to be made righteous, and that's through Christ. God testified that Abel's offering was the indicator of His righteousness. It showed His heart. And even Jesus declared Abel's righteousness in Matthew 23, 35, as He foretold of Jerusalem's desolation. He said this, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zerachiah, son of Berechiah, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. It's only through the blood of Christ that we can be made righteous and declared justified. Romans 3, 24-26 says, "...being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has sent forth to be the propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus." You see, Abel was declared righteous because... His offering was showing Jesus. It was showing faith in Christ. Looking forward to the coming sacrifice that would one day take away the sin of the world. You say, okay, that's great. What does that have to do with us today in 2020? What does this man's sacrifice from nearly 6,000 years ago have to do with you and I? How does it apply to our church? Last of all, there in verse 4, it says, God testifying of His gifts, and by it, He being dead, yet speaketh. What is it that He's speaking to us? First and foremost, we can learn that acceptable worship to God is always by faith through blood. Now, under the law, God did make a, he did make a way for an offering to be made that was bloodless. But the law wasn't even given when Abel and Cain were making their offering. And it's clear from what we have considered tonight that what God was pleased in was the blood sacrifice. And if we come before God to worship, we must come before God through the blood of Christ. He is our Passover lamb sacrificed for us. Abel... Worshipping by faith contrasted to Cain not worshipping by faith. We, we can learn this. Listen, two people, they can come to God, they can worship similarly, and yet have two totally different outcomes in the sight of God. 
The object of our worship is to be upon Christ who gave Himself for us. And if you want to be accepted in God's sight, then it cannot be about you. If we want to be accepted in God's sight as a church, then it cannot be about us. We dare not approach God with the fruit of the ground the works of our own flesh, and what we feel should be acceptable. But we approach God by faith on the merits of the blood of Christ. And and listen, this is where we mess it up. We try to come before God and we try to invoke His blessings based upon our labors. And here's, here's what happens is we try to do stuff and we try to say, Lord, I'm going to fix my marriage. And I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do what the preacher counseled, and I'm going to do all these things. But God, you haven't done what you promised me. God never promised that. God never promised that He was going to fix all this stuff for you. Come on now. Because I'm telling you what people are doing is they're looking at God and saying, God, you owe me because I have worked at this. You can't change another person's heart. You can't change your husband. You can't change your wife. Only God can. Well, God, I tried all this. Amen. Well, Lord, I've got this wayward child. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be in church every week. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to be faithful to the things of God. Some time passes, no response from the wayward child. God, you didn't come through for me. Listen, if you pay attention to what I'm saying is this, we are coming before God with the works of our labor. And we're saying, God, you should accept this. How come you're not accepting this? And we try to invoke God's blessing based upon what we have done. There's only one person you can, you can take care of, and that's you. And here's what happens. I'm telling you from experience. Here's what happens. I tried church. I tried God. I tried reading the Bible. I tried giving. God, He didn't come through for me, and now I'm done with all that stuff. That's where we're at. We somehow have this idea that we have a right to tell God how He should be accepting things. And when it doesn't happen our way, guess what? We get wroth and our countenance falls. Just like what happened with Cain. Because God, you're not doing what it is I think you should do. Therefore, I am done trying. I'm just going to give up. And you can hear God say to you what He said to Cain. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? You see, all some people are really doing is they're coming to God not by faith, and they're trying to command God to bless their efforts. They were not resting in the blood of Christ and His sacrifice. But they were trying to work for God's favor. It'll never work. It'll never work. 
It's not about what we can do for God. But it's all about what God has already done for us. And our worship, it needs to be zeroed in on who God is and not who we think He should be. Or who we think we are. We must become keenly aware of His requirements and not our own opinions of what we say His requirements should be. People come to God and they think that, they, that He ought to accept them upon their own terms. I think God ought to accept my works as the basis of my salvation. Sorry. I think God ought to accept my baptism when I was an infant and I didn't know what was going on in salvation. Sorry. I think God ought to accept my church membership. I've shown God that I'm interested in these things. Sorry. It's not about you getting to dictate what the requirements are. He's already given us what the requirements are. It's blood. It's Christ's blood. It's not about our philosophies or our opinions. And guess what? People get all kind of upset and sideways when you begin to tell them there's only one sacrifice that's going to count. Why does that cause so much division? Why does it cause so much anger? It's the nicest thing you could tell somebody. It's not dependent upon you. Oh, thank God. It was way better when I was enlisted. Amen. Then you cross over thinking, this is going to be great. I'm going to make more money. Now you got all this responsibility. I'd much rather look at the other leader and say, hey, that's your problem. You just tell me what to do. Listen, we don't have to figure it out. God's already done it. And we must come to God with the understanding that He doesn't owe us a thing. Abel comes to God and he offers the firstlings of his flock because he was a hell-deserving sinner. He didn't deserve the least of God's blessings. Now, what can happen as a church, as we kind of tie this to our theme this year, what can happen as a church is we can bow before God and we can say, God, you owe us for our labors. Lord, we've kept the doors open. We, we've done everything that we know to do, and God, you owe us. Listen, this is God's church. He doesn't owe us a thing, except for what's laid out in His Word. We don't have the right to demand what God should do with us. Lord, we've done all this, and now you owe us. And you have to do what I say, because I've labored. I've brought the fruits of my labor. And God, if you don't honor this, I'm backing out of here. You think God's really threatened by your lack of church attendance? God can do with us as He sees fit. All we are to do is to bow before Him, acknowledging that without Him we are nothing, and without Him we can do nothing. Whatever we do for Him, that we want... Him to accept, it must be done by faith. That He is the God who this Bible says He is. And we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Bible says in John 4, 23 and 24, Jesus speaking there says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
And I just want to ask you tonight, how have you been coming to God lately? Is it with an unbiblical expectation of how you think God ought to be doing things in your life? How have you been coming to God? God, do you not see all this that I've labored for you? What are you offering to God? Is it pleasing in God's sight? What is our church offering to God? Is it acceptable to God? Are you worshiping God by faith? Have you obtained witness of being righteous? We must learn to leave our preconceived ideas at the door. Stop acting like God owes us something. And let's come and let's kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. God, You are the potter. I am the clay. And You mold me and You shape me any old way You please. And it's not about me trying to make a deal with You. Because if we're not careful, we come to God and we get very humanistic in our approach. And we make it all about us. I want our church to offer a more excellent sacrifice. A sacrifice which God has respect unto. Now thank God the greatest sacrifice has already been given. There's no more offering for sin. Hallelujah. His blood can wash away every sin. But we still must bow before God and worship Him in the beauty of holiness. That gets all the attention off of us. We can still give unto Him the praise due unto His name. But we must do so with a broken and a contrite heart. Psalm 51 verses 16 and 17 say, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, Thou will not despise. Are you broken tonight? Or is there some kind of a tension between you and God because He's not doing just as you think He should do? We just need to get our hearts right. Would you pray with me tonight?